Hello and welcome to Tape Heads. I'm Sean. And I'm Lindsay. Tape Heads is the podcast where we watch a VHS tape from either my collection or Lindsay's collection. We watch it and then we talk about it. We are closing out this crazy, uh, insane year of 2020 with a holiday episode. A um, little selection from my collection, the 1984 film Gremlins. Ooh. I didn't really remember this movie. I I believe I saw it as a small child. It it felt familiar. I know I'd heard a lot about it, but it felt very new when I watched it with you and your family one Christmas. Uh, quite the opposite with me, as you know. Uh, this was a family staple. This, and to a lesser extent, the sequel. Um, I remember we used to rent these a lot. From both these films from uh, Art Albertsons, you could rent movies. Oh, uh, really? Yeah, from the Albertsons. Yeah, I have this memory of it being this really huge selection of movies, like all against the far wall of our Albertsons in Visalia. But it probably was just that I was tiny and it seemed huge, uh, because my memory is like just looking up into this like skyscraper of VHS tapes above me. Um, I also remember that, um, well, I guess Statute of Limitations, I can talk about my father's uh, VHS piracy because we had a uh, we had a VHS tape. That, well, I guess he'd hooked up two VCRs and we had a, a pirated tape that had Gremlins and Gremlins 2 on it. Oh, I knew you guys had a lot of tapes where you'd recorded them, but I thought you were recording them off the... Off- television usually usually yeah but there were a few where i it seemed like maybe it was just that we they were ones that we rented so much that you know he just decided that we would have our own pirated copies i remember it was these movies and the jaws (laughs) movies i like i mean that's pretty good logic you guys spend so much money renting it you might as well have bought it at a certain point so then he probably just felt like you know why not? Yeah, it's a, it seems like a pretty victimless crime since uh, I think that uh, Gremlin certainly got more out of us, out of the Lynch family, than you would uh, getting it out of like a bargain bin at a Best Buy now. And it's funny, I, I, we didn't even necessarily treat this as a Christmas movie, even though it's obviously set at Christmas. Um, you know, all beautifully shot on the Universal back lot with tons of snow and holiday decor. The same town uh, in the Universal backlot, uh, King- this Kingston Falls, it's called in Gremlins, but it's the same town as in Back to the Future. Ah. Um, Hill Valley in Back to the Future. This, of course, came a year earlier, um, but I think it was it more just scra- scratched that sort of sweet spot for me of being scary, but like not too scary. And it's got a lot of like fun, kind of wacky visuals, these fun creatures. Gizmo is adorable. I think it's obvious why you like this. It's pretty much a horror movie. Yeah, but but still- Including people dying and it gets pretty violent. Yeah, it's funny because it's, it's a very interesting blend of very light. Like I think of like this cuddly creature, Gizmo, and scenes like the the movie theater and the saloon where the the it almost feels like a, a live action cartoon and the stakes seem pretty low but then also some really dark stuff like phoebe cates's famous uh anecdote about how her dad died in the chimney impersonating santa claus uh something that steven yeah. spielberg apparently fought against as a producer but ultimately left it in because that's... Uh, the, just the the fact that her dad died in a in a chimney or that just that, that, whole, just that whole scene um but i think it's so it's such a memorable part of the movie and something yeah. that kind of went over my head when i was a kid like just how insane that is to drop in the middle of a like otherwise fairly light-hearted christmas horror movie comedy horror comedy minus minus the deaths but a lot of people do get killed by these creatures i was just thinking my trouble with the chimney thing is do people really fit through chimneys it's a fair question. You know, isn't there is there is there some sort of mechanism in there that would not be large enough for a human to go through? I actually don't know much about chimneys, but well, I think that was what caught me up is it seems like you could be a little bit suicidal if you're jumping down a chimney. Wait, but Santa does it billions of times a year. Oh, uh, we're going to have to have that conversation. What conversation? 
Maybe later. Uh, okay. Well, that's kind of weird. <laughs> um, yeah, but I guess we're getting a little ahead of ourselves um, because I finally got a bevy of ads on this tape. Uh, All you have to do is pick a children's movie. Not just a children's movie, but this is uh, to, to kind of, I know this, <laughs> describing the box art on a medium like a podcast isn't that exciting, but this is a 1999 re-release that's in a clamshell box re-releases were almost never in clamshells yeah i mean they're clear even the cover design is they're kind of pushing it as more of a kids movie because i remember the version that we rented just had the gremlin on the front like popping out of a box and it was more uh, like marketed as a horror movie this art is just gizmo in front of a white background and his shadow is a crazy gremlin which i think is actually kind of more suiting for the kind of playful mischievous nature of the movie and almost kind of showing that it's like a children's it's like a horror movie posing as a children's movie in a way i feel like re-releases if it came out in a clamshell it was something like the disney vault had Mm -hmm. been opened up and they were finally doing a new a new release uh or kind of a new tape of snow white or something like that it, it was something that was a huge deal that it was being released but otherwise you get relegated to the little cardboard box in fact the first ad on this tape is kind of announcing this re-release series in 99 that is basically all their kind of like tame i guess scary stuff that's appropriate for kids so it's like yeah actually a couple that we covered on this podcast like the witches mm-hmm. double double toil and trouble right but then also beetlejuice which is a stone cold classic that we need to have on this show gremlins it's funny to see gremlins marketed for the halloween season mm-hmm. because i think of it as a christmas movie um, and then like a lot of Scooby-Doo stuff. So it's kind of like Warner Brothers going through their catalog and being like, hey, what's some kind of spooky kid appropriate stuff that we can re-release in a clamshell? Right. Um, but just uh, listen to that clamshell. <laughs> Here's a little... Uh, so crisp. little uh, ASMR for you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there's that. It's funny, uh, the next ad is the animated version of The King and I, which I never saw despite being in a production of The King and I as Lewis Leon Owens in the yeah. fifth grade. My theory is that you were just over it already. I might have been a little over it at, at that point. I saw the animated version that they're advertising and it was cute. Yeah, it seems like, I mean, from the clips that they showed, it seemed like a pretty faithful uh, adaptation. I don't remember it very well. I, I, I remember it being pleasant then we uh get a one of those dog movies i asked you if uh it's one where the dog dies this is shiloh 2 shiloh season kind of a weird title i don't think it's one where the dog dies because one with kids movies they tend not to have the animals die the animals tend to survive or if there if there's an animal that dies there's multiple animals and the old one dies yeah i guess i just think of like old yeller where the red fern grows true kind of the older classics but the newer movies they softened it for the younger generation who couldn't really take it i guess marley and me that's a real gut wrencher that's not a kids movie uh, though that's I don't know. aimed more at adults i guess so turner and hooch i was shocked that the dog died in turner and hooch like what the hell <laughs> <laughs> i think we should cover that movie on the podcast we could say that's that a for weird movie it is an odd movie but pretty fun as a diehard tom hanks uh fan who's usually willing to follow him anywhere especially in that era that was a weird movie that i don't don't think i would recommend some of his early stuff is really weird splash is weird too yeah but splash is charming yeah turner and hooch is just off-putting at a certain point i feel like we should just do a tom hanks podcast (laughs) that might be the spinoff eventually um, but I'm getting off, off target here. Is Shiloh 2 a movie that you... No. Uh, I don't think I even saw Shiloh 1. Yeah, I saw Shiloh 1. Yeah. I don't really remember it. Um, then we get another Scooby-Doo ad. Scooby-Doo and the Witch's Ghost. Hell yeah. We had Scooby-Doo VHS tapes. There was one where he's in like Dracula's mansion and there's some sort of race car thing. It's really weird. 
And then the final ad is uh, just another re-release of Wizard of Oz. They love putting out new versions of that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I wonder if at this point it was the version where they digitally removed... Uh, speaking about urban legends where people die, like the dad in the chimney, that's a famous urban legend that they uh, appropriated for gremlins. You know that urban legend about Wizard of Oz where you can see a munchkin hanging himself in the background and oh. they they went in and digitally painted it out. It's nothing really, but it's like one of the early conspiracy theories but of they the probably, internet. They probably digitally painted it out because people wouldn't stop saying it was a munchkin hanging himself when it was just something random in the background. Yeah, it's like a bird puppet or something, but I have a feeling that that's what this is. It's the beginning of going in and scrubbing things out. It's kind of like how there's a version of E.T. where they took out the word terrorist and like scrubbed out the guns and replaced them with walkie talkies. Like it's kind of that kind of sanitization oh. that was happening around this time. I didn't know about that. That's yeah, it's, it's unfortunate. Let's talk about Gremlins. So I've talked about my history with it. You said that it wasn't one that you remembered seeing as much in your childhood. No, not really. I, I'm sure that I must have seen it at least once, but I just didn't have any kind of strong memory of it. It wasn't big in my house. So we it wasn't one of the ones that we watched all the time uh for the uninitiated gremlins is the story of i guess we start with the father the patriarch of this family uh (laughs) who's responsible along with his idiot son for everything that happens in this movie yeah that's why i started to laugh because really it's just all the men's fault Mm -hmm. not the wise chinese man at the beginning of the movie who warns this white man not to take the mogwai but heavily into asian mysticism in the 80s yeah it's ever present i was thinking of big trouble little china that sort of thing where you know suddenly he's in chinatown and oh there's this funky creature that he can get there you know it's just this sort of i mean like you said asian mysticism but this idea that of this otherworldly sort of these things that can be unleashed from the foreignness he, uh, he's ostensibly looking for a present for his son. And you imagine that his son is pretty young, but it turns out later that he's in his 20s. And or is he in his late teens, just out of high school? He might be in his late teens. It's, it's yeah. a little hard to tell, but he's out of school and has a day job. Um, the father is a kooky inventor played by Hoyt Axton. He makes useless things that no one needs and they don't work. Just <laughs> Which burdening is, yeah. his family. Which is a running gag that I feel like should get old, but never does for me. Like throughout the movie, you just keep seeing more and more of his awful inventions. Like the smokeless ashtray, the bathroom buddy, an orange uh, juicer, basically, yeah. where you put oranges in that aren't even peeled and it explodes right. all over the kitchen. <laughs> I think the intention is that it peels and juices the orange for you, so you're just dropping the orange in. But his saint of a wife keeps all the inventions around and she tries to use them. On this watch, the mom is the MVP of this movie. She's the true hero. She is the unsung hero of this film. The dad is in Chinatown. Um, A young boy lures him to this sort of basement uh, antique store that his grandfather owns. No, I think it's more like he's asking around, hey, what can I get my son for cheap? (laughs) And then this, and so he, I'm imagining, he, he approaches this young boy and says, hey kid, hey kid, can you get me something interesting? Which is a little weird and then is led into this basement shop by the child and i always forget i mean no matter how many times i've seen this movie i always forget that there's a narration from the dad hoyt axton that bookends the movie at the yeah. beginning and end and i'm not sure this is true or not but it feels like an 11th hour edition because he's not present for most of the story that he's telling. Right, he's only there for the beginning and end. He's not there in the middle at all. I don't really think you need it. I don't think it hurts the movie. It's just kind of there. Right. Because it's not like it's a hard story to follow. Um, I, yeah. But anyway, I, he gets this creature. It's called a mogwai. It's very cute. Um, he gets this... Wait, but he gets this creature after he's warned that he can't buy it. He's explicitly told... That you have to have a lot of responsibility to take this creature. And the guy is clearly saying, hey, you, you don't got it. And then he makes a deal with this little kid to buy it anyway. 
he tells him the three rules of taking care of a mogwai and these are very important going forward Mm -hmm. number one don't get the mogwai wet um number two keep it away from bright lights um sunlight can kill it and then the most important rule which must be pretty important you would think if one of the rules uh if you break it the thing dies um don't feed it after midnight which is so vague because to me every moment is after midnight i want a specific window of time where this thing can be fed the second one is a little bit meta and even has a moment where people are picking apart the mythology and asking like oh what if he's got something stuck in his teeth and he's in a plane and crosses time zones and kind of getting into that minutiae but i think the implication is from midnight to sun up right so i think the next day you're fine probably um the kid doesn't say what will happen if any of these rules are broken i think if he just, just blanketly gives the the rules with no yeah. clear warning but the adult in this situation the dad should have understood maybe i shouldn't be wheeling and dealing with a child after the adult that is his guardian said no because the kid's not going to give him all the information he needs. I mean, it's uh, it's you know, it's one of those things where you need it for the film to <laughs> to happen. Yeah. So uh, I think this just illustrates that the dads screw up. Yeah, we're <laughs> we're introduced to Kingston Falls in this wonderful little small town montage shot on the Universal backlot. Some Phil Spector music playing. It's Christmas time. Uh, we get to see all the denizens of the town including our our heroes uh billy and what's the i i just want to call her phoebe cates i don't i forget what her name is kate kate is her name we meet them they work at the bank together they both look like babies to be working at the bank they're very very young we meet judge reinhold who is another like big 80s actor from like beverly hills cop and a fast times Ridgemont high along with phoebe cates but he basically only has these two scenes where he doesn't really do much he's just like the stereotypical like 80s yuppie who's it's a little weird that a guy like this is in a small town but he's basically talking how he's gonna take over the bank and be a millionaire by the time he's 30 yeah and then we never see him again i wonder if he like was cut out of the movie or something oh like there are scenes that were never released that where we would have seen more of him yeah cory cory feldman's character also kind of disappears at a certain point yeah he's in there into the into some of the end fight though but we, we meet uh, uh, Dick Miller, who plays like the town drunk who uh, drives, a, I guess, a bulldozer? Or is it a snowplow? Snowplow. Yeah, snowplow. It's great to have the town drunk be your snowplow driver. <laughs> yeah. That's really, really great. And he's the one who kind of introduces the idea of, uh, you know, he was in WW2 and, uh, <laughs> the, you know, the, he talks he, about... He says WWII. Yeah, <laughs> that's a... <laughs> That's a nice detail. Dick Miller kind of introduces the idea of gremlins as these mischievous sprites that get into machinery and mess them up. Besides the movie Gremlins, I always think of the gremlin on the side of the bus in that uh, Simpsons Halloween episode. (laughs) I think that's a classic uh, interpretation of a gremlin. Gets into machinery. Very tech savvy. These guys just seem to sense how to do everything. Like they're able to rewire the intersection so that all the lights are green. (laughs) That kind of stuff. Miss Deagle, who's like the wicked witch of the town who's threatening to kill his dog, Barney. We yeah, just... she wants to get his little dog. It almost seems like some sort of veiled reference to the Wizard of Oz in a way. And I feel like all the best creature features set in a small town have this kind of first act where you're just kind of meeting all these disparate people. I think Arachnophobia does this well. Tremors does this well. Yeah. Gremlins does this well. Where, you know, you, there's a little bit of table setting where you get to kind of meet the future victims of the of the uh, creatures and uh and and get a sense of who they are even if it's painted in kind of broad strokes just so you have some attachment and and sort of like a geography of the town but not too much attachment yeah not too much attachment yeah so so of course the the father comes back and and gifts this adorable little mogwai uh calls him gizmo to his son billy and uh he tells him the rules and they are 
Well, I guess he doesn't tell them the rules until the mom uses the flash on her camera and Gizmo freaks out. Yeah, he just hands over this animal that has these dire rules, otherwise he'll die. But he doesn't say anything until they almost, you know, until they injure him with the light. The light rule is pretty straightforward, but we soon learn uh, what happens when you break the other rules because... uh, Little old Corey Feldman comes by and immediately just knocks water all over Gizmo. Well, because they show him walking around with a glass of water, checking out this animal, and you'd think that the our, our lead would have the forethought to remember, hey, this guy, this little thing can't touch any water, but no, he has no common sense. He's like, yeah, sure, let's hang out with a bunch of water right next to him. This was the thing that stuck out to me on this watch, is like, so many lives could have been saved if Billy was just slightly more responsible. If Corey Feldman is walking in and sloshing a big cup of water around, maybe say, oh, hey, there's some rules about this creature. You need to, like, leave your water outside, please. Or was it even a glass that had like his paintbrushes in it? Because he's an artist. Yeah, I think it's it's a sort of misdirect because Corey Feldman has this glass of water, yeah. but he sets it down and then knocks over the paintbrushes that are sitting in water. But what happens when Gizmo gets wet is uh, he multiplies. There's these five little fuzzballs that shoot off of him and it seems to torture him he's in so much pain and of course billy because he's he's not actually that good of a person he's our quote-unquote hero but he does this again to gizmo knowing that it put him in pain before but five new mogwais are immediately created uh, and there's a great gag where Corey Feldman like goes back to his comic book and is kind of unfazed by this yeah. miracle of science that's unfolded before him. His dad is trying to invent all this stuff and none of his inventions work. And so, you know, he's kind of desperate to find something to glom on to. And when he finds out about the multiplying, he realizes, oh man, this is my new scheme. So he starts talking about how all the kids in America are going to have these guys. It's going to be great. It would be the end of the world if he marketed these creatures. The rate at which they multiply and how easy it is for them to turn into gremlins as we find out. Yeah, well, and this is the other thing that's kind of crazy to me is, one, okay, Billy leaves water out and... When he has more of them, so he also, he, he ends up with six because he's got Gizmo and then five more. They're all just hanging out in a box in his room and Gizmo sleeps with him. Gizmo seems good, but the other ones are kind of messed up. They're, you know, they're barfing on the dog and doing things that are mean. Which and, feels very pointed. We don't want to like yeah, these other mogwais. They're a little messed up. Um, It's worth mentioning really quick, in early drafts of the script, Gizmo turned into a gremlin. And I feel like that would be heartbreaking because he's so sweet. We have an emotional bond with him. Whereas these other Mogwais, they seem like jerks from the beginning. So we don't really care. Yeah, Gizmo, I like that he stays good throughout. And even when he's offered food after midnight, he declines. Mm -hmm. But It seems like they want to turn into gremlins. And that's kind of what I'm getting at is, you know, You'd think if you don't know much about this animal, you know they can't eat or have access to water, why would you just have them loose overnight? Wouldn't you want to have them kind of cooped up somehow so that they can't just get out, run over to the fridge? I mean, they hang his dog from Christmas lights. Yeah, and his he doesn't have a door to his bedroom. It's yeah. sort of like a loft space that he's in. It's almost like a converted attic. And that's, that, and that's before they even turn evil. That's when they're still just little mogwai. I mean, much like rigging up two VCRs and making a <laughs> duplicate tape, I wonder if the copy is like a little bit off, you know? Oh. That was the problem with, with duping tapes is that it's the quality is basically cut in half. Right. Um, and, and, and like even more so if you're making copies of copies later on. That's kind of what the movie Multiplicity is about with <laughs> multiple Michael Keatons. Uh <laughs> But uh, I wonder if that's why, especially Stripe, the leader, is particularly bad. Well, I guess Gizmo had to have been a copy also at At, some point. At some point, right? Unless they can mate and multiply that way if you have 
enough of them or can they only multiply by water i guess the movie doesn't address this so i don't know you know i bet you i bet you well let's i would hypothesize that they can mate normally because it seems like if the rule is never get them wet then that seems like an aberration like a bad thing yeah so it's like it's less that you're making more of them it's that you're making bad ones uh because all five of them are nasty and gizmo is the sweetest little creature and unless unless that's just chance and it's more don't get them wet because you could just end up with a million of them and then you'd never be able to feed them all basically i guess they string up the dog with lights Outside, outside in the snow so he's gonna be a dogsicle as billy says but billy blames the old woman the the wicked witch-esque woman and do you think that that's a diversion do you think at that point that's when they they sever the cord on his radio clock to make it seem like it's not midnight or do you think they just did that for the hell of it because they didn't that like was the later. dog? That was later. Billy gives them a whole plate of fried chicken because he the... looks at the clock. He thinks it's what is it, eleven forty something? Yeah, and they're they're whining for food, and the second he leaves, they all go quiet, which is very chilling, and like definitely indication that they they want to change. They want to become gremlins. I like the choice of fried chicken because it's a really gross watching yeah, them eat that the meat. The close-ups of their... I think there's a great reaction shot of Gizmo uh, just like, ugh, like recoiling in disgust. Yeah, and it's interesting because Gizmo declines. He doesn't want to eat, but why didn't he tip off Billy that they severed the cord and were tricking him? I mean, maybe he doesn't realize. Yeah. I doubt that he's in on the, the plan. Yeah. He's always separate from those five. He's not in the club. And uh, the, the puppetry is really interesting in this movie because uh, it's a blend of... Uh, well, you notice the, the stop motion in right. some scenes where they're walking around. But most of the time, especially in wider shots, they're these animatronic puppets... But when it's like a close-up of Gizmo's face, like that reaction shot, it's actually like a big, like bigger than scale, like two or three times the size of the puppet to get those um, those really like animated facial reactions. Mm-hmm. So sure enough, next morning, you got a bunch of cocoons. They're in their pupil phase. Those are some gross cocoons. Yeah, and we actually glazed over. At a certain point, he goes to the science teacher at the school and makes another mogwai uh, so that the science teacher can not only see that them multiplying to kind of understand a little bit about them, but so that he has a copy to study. Why he didn't just give him one of the five other ones he already had i think he wanted to show him the right. duplication process because it's yeah. that that's such a crazy thing you kind of need to see it for yourself to believe it so billy goes to this teacher seeks him out says hey you know i need your help to study these guys i want to know more about them and the teacher does it and unfortunately his teacher leaves a sandwich near the cage that he's keeping this uh seventh mogwai in and the same night that Billy feeds fried chicken to the five to those extra five in his house, this the seventh one gets the sandwich and eats it. So he's also in his pupil stage by the morning. For some reason, one of the scenes that really stuck with me as a kid is the scene when the cocoon is so big that it's burst open the little cage, and he's using like bolt cutters to like plunk plunk like to cut open the cage yeah to cut it out it's of the cage. really gnarly and uh sure enough once these cocoons hatch i guess the first gremlin that we see is the one at the school with the science teacher right and he is the first to die and of course is a black man <laughs> i think he may be the only black character in the movie he is the only black character in the movie and it's definitely playing into the stereotype of killing the black guy first which is kind of surprising because um you know this is written by chris columbus and uh directed by joe dante spielberg of course producing i think of these guys is pretty liberal like uh but i guess it's 84 they maybe they weren't thinking with that perspective it feels retrograde even for 84 to kill the black guy first but his death is brutal too 
Yeah, I mean, we don't we don't see much of it, but it, it is. Uh, he he's he he realizes that the cocoon is hatched, and the gremlin is is hiding. We haven't seen what these creatures look like yet. He reaches under uh, into this like underneath a table or something to give it a bite of his candy bar, and you just see his facial reaction as it's grabbing him mauls him essentially and it, it later we see that a um a syringe has been stuck in him yeah as if he's been drugged on top of it to 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 fully kill him it's not really clear why there's a syringe there because i assume I that think... he was killed when he was mauled under the table i, I remember know. in our copy growing up that shot of the the syringe sticking out of him was so blurry that i was unclear what happened to him <laughs> <laughs> and it was only until we got this version of it, uh, when we finally broke down and paid for a copy of Gremlins, that I uh, that I realized that that was supposed to be the way he died. I wa- I wonder if that's them walking back the violence a little bit. Uh, but Billy finds him, you know, and again, this is Billy's fault. He killed his teacher. Billy has some common sense, and after trying to escape from this this gremlin that's now attacking him in the school he manages to get to a phone to call his mom and warn her to get out of the house unfortunately she doesn't hear everything he says but his mom is really sharp and so she already knows something's up she had already grabbed a knife she was making gingerbread men at home and she ends up destroying three of these guys she really kills them just like bam 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 so easily this is the best sequence of the movie for me the the mom versus the gremlins in the kitchen crucially this sent uh parents groups into a tizzy this scene and this uh this sequence plus i guess just all of indiana jones and the temple of doom are credited with creating the pg-13 rating Huh. Because this both films are PG. And, oh, Spielberg. Yeah, well, I mean, apparently uh, Spielberg talked to the MPAA about it and was like, well, what if we have something in between PG and R? Then that would be kind of a nice compromise. Um, and I think it was the very next year, uh, 85, where Red Dawn and a couple others were like the very first PG-13 movies. But this sequence where she goes into the kitchen and just brutally murders uh, in self-defense these three gremlins. She throws one, goes into the juicer that we had seen earlier in the movie. Yeah. Another, that, was is, that the juicer or was it? I thought it was like a stand mixer or something that he's in. Oh, no, I thought it was the juicer. You're probably right uh, because a stand mixer would not pulverize because I, I think that's one of the things that you admire about this movie is they kind of show you something and then it gets used later yes like the sword that falls from the wall every time the front door is closed uh and then she stabs to death another one with her knife largely off screen but still like really intense yeah and you can you feel afraid for her because she's i mean she's a great actress she's really got a lot of emotion going into this violence and then the best one is when she microwaves one and it just explodes like an egg that's been put in there. And that's the most graphic one. And I think that's the one that people had the most objections to. I think their fears were, I think even Roger Ebert, I mean, Roger Ebert was always kind of a prude when it came to horror movies, but he said like, oh, kids are going to do this with their pets, blah, blah, blah. And I don't think he was alone in that. And uh, I would like to counter that. When I was a kid and saw that scene, I was horrified by it like Um, that scared me straight about microwave safety i would never put a pet anywhere near the microwave after seeing that and that logic just doesn't make sense oh they're gonna see this thing explode in the microwave if the kid's doing that then the movie's showing them if i put them in the microwave it will hurt and kill them so what kid is going to think "Ooh, i want to kill my dog yeah, it's it makes no sense. This is a kid um, that you should already be worried about because that's a kid that's probably, you know, like using a lighter, hurting animals in other ways already. I to this day I have like I'm like very respectful of the power of microwaves. <laughs> like just the other day I almost put a I was putting a cup with a a tea bag into the microwave and I noticed the little staple on it and I asked you like is this okay cuz this is yeah. metal. 
Uh, so even in my 30s, I feel like Gremlins did a real number on me as far as microwaves go. I, I think of this whole sequence as just being a, like a master class in suspense because after she zaps the third Gremlin... I think this is my favorite part of the movie is oh, this absolutely. whole sequence with the mom. And then that leads into the mom going to the fireplace and seeing the stocking move. There's a misdirector. You think there's a gremlin in a stocking. She knocks it over and it's uh, it's just a wind-up toy. But of course there's another gremlin in the Christmas tree. And you which see its red glowing eyes. Such an incredible visual. <laughs> and I don't want to act like it's all downhill after this scene. I mean, Billy swoops in and decapitates it with a sword. Yeah. There's and, fun scenes after this, but I think but this is peak. This is peak. And I feel like it's maximum just stakes like it's just you this is as dangerous as these creatures get for me but this is also the closest that it is to a horror movie yes um and you know earlier drafts of this script before it sort of pivoted to being more of a family movie i'm glad that it's more it's more of a kids movie because earlier drafts were much darker where the gremlins killed the mom and it would it just would have been a lot rougher and more like an r-rated movie i prefer this but i i like it kind of at this level where it's fun and playful but the the gremlins are still scary yeah because i feel like after this sequence um basically stripe is the last gremlin to get away and he multiplies at the swimming pool yeah. Which I feel like would just create infinite gremlins, but... But maybe it's just when they touch any water, they reproduce, and then it stops until they have contact with water again. It's not... If they have constant contact with water, it's not just constant generation. I don't know. If it didn't work that way, five more would create, five more would create, five more, yeah. and it would just, like, you'd have billions of gremlins yeah. coming out of the swimming pool. Ultimately, we get what 20 some 30 some i mean just thinking exponentially how these things grow if it got out of this town then they'd take over the world they would take over the like world it, but it, that's why they had the warning at the beginning of the movie and the guy who ran the shop declined to sell it because he understood the risk it's the ultimate invasive species i remember in uh i had an earth science class in high school where we watched this hilarious documentary i mean it's not hilarious for the people that live in australia but about how cane toads have completely taken over the continent of australia or maybe just certain areas of australia but they're just such a nuisance that they talked about just driving down the road and they just hear pop 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 as they drive over these toads well imagine cane toads that can operate guns and knives and and like actually are killing people and that's what you'd have with the gremlins it's tough too because you have billy as the guy that's trying to save us but he's kind of inept you know he's trying he he did go back and he saved his mom he killed one of them uh and then he delivers her to the to the doctor's house so that she can get treated because she is injured pretty badly she's sidelined for the rest of the movie i'd want the mom in the field because she's the best fighter of any of them yeah and if she were out there well i guess if she were out there the movie would have ended a lot sooner yeah so we needed billy to kind of drag it out for us accidentally (laughs) multiply them so there's it there's going to be at least 30 i guess after that the bar that his uh potential love interest is working at kate uh, gets taken over by gremlins. And this is where you were saying it gets kind of cartoonish. Yeah, almost. this is the pivot for me. And like, it's it's very cute and fun seeing the gremlins party and do all these like movie spoofs. But as you mentioned, how do they know to reference these? Yeah, how do they have any of this cultural context to know to make these dance movie bogey references, all these different little things? They're playing poker. It had been playful up to this moment, but if I'm looking at it with a critical eye and not just through the lens of nostalgia, I think this is a lot more fun if you're a little kid watching this segment. Yeah. Um, Because it's fun, but it's no longer dangerous. Like, I'm not really fearing for Phoebe Kate's character if she's serving them drinks and they're not, like, 
and they're kind of giving her a hard time, but they're yeah. not, her life isn't in danger the way that the mom's life was. Yeah, they're just being rude. They're getting drunk and falling off their chairs. They just don't really seem that scary. And she does put together that they don't like light. So she's able to use a camera to kind of get her way out of there. But And, and it's kind of after that that they raise the stakes again. Uh, they kill the snowplow driver and his wife. In the context of this movie, they seem to be dead, but I will say that those characters come back in the second one, Dick really? Miller and his wife. and they Because they got run over by the plow. It did cut away. Maybe it's it was just that they got really beat up, but they are able to uh-huh. bounce back from it. I sort of like to think of those characters as dead because it's yeah. just that much darker. And we, we give Billy and his dad a hard time, but the truly inept people in this are the two police, the police officers of the town who don't really help them at all one of them is played by uh, the guy who plays mike in breaking bad yeah jonathan banks that's a fun uh cameo well i guess it wasn't a cameo at the time because uh, he hadn't done a whole lot and but... these cops are so terrible that they see a man being killed they're witnessing a man being killed by a gremlin and they just drive off they say they'd rather be at the police station well, they get their just desserts because, uh, I mean, they're driving by, I guess, as the guy dressed as Santa Claus is getting mauled. Um, but as they're watching this, gremlins are like sabotaging the vehicle in classic gremlins fashion. And they end up, I think their car like flips over. And yeah. They have a and I probably assume... fatal car accident there. That's what I was going to say. I assume they're dead. We never see them again. I feel like that's kind of the PG horror way of killing people is just... Something happens and you just don't see them again and you assume that they died. Yeah. That's how a lot of these deaths happen. Like, it's a little unclear, like the guy getting his hand stuck in the mailbox. The the evil lady that wanted to kill the dog, she gets launched oh, out of her window on that's her little... A... Uh, it's, it's one of those sort of chairs that goes up the staircase or down the staircase for elderly folks or disabled folks. She just... They they mess with it and the motor goes crazy and she just launches out. Launches so satisfying. They pose as uh, Christmas carolers right before that, and he, again you don't feel bad for her because she's prepared to throw water on the Christmas carolers. Yeah, and not that. Well, she's also talking about killing this kid's dog or whatever. Yeah. So you know you really don't feel so bad for this woman. So Billy rescues Kate from the bar. I mean, she's kind of saving herself yeah, she's with the already, camera. She's already saved herself. He didn't do anything. He has her get into the car, and then they can't go anywhere in the car, and they have to run for it. So really, she's kind of as good as she was before he was there. Some of the later gremlins in the movies kind of adopt just a thing about themselves. Like, there's the aerobics video gremlin. There's the robber gremlin with who's wearing a ski mask. And one of them, it's kind of funny, is a flasher like he has a trench coat and flashes her but it's kind of innocuous because the gremlins are just naked anyway right he's wearing more clothing i guess just the act of opening his i mean because we understood what it was we knew he was a flasher even though there was no genitalia on display you know this idea of a flasher in in 70s and 80s comedies it seems like it's kind of like treated as a joke but i feel like that's kind of gone away just as we've you know kind of grown as a culture and realized like oh like perverts that flash people maybe shouldn't be like this thing that we joke about all the time but they're actually predators yeah yeah uh, but it's I, I, it's funny that that even found its way into gremlins so <laughs> there's a flasher gremlin Then we quickly move to uh, sort of the climax of the movie in the movie theater. I I never quite understood how he could be certain that all the gremlins are in the theater, but I noticed on this watch that that we're close to dawn, so they need to go somewhere where they can be out of the light. So they all just gather together in the movie theater. Watching Snow White. Didn't go for a Warner Brothers cartoon. They have a Disney movie that they're watching, but then later in the department store, we see Warner Brothers Looney Tunes characters, which are bookending an E.T. toy, which is clearly there as a wink to Spielberg. I don't exactly understand how Billy is able to blow up the movie theater. I guess he like opens a gas main and then he lights like an oily rag. I can't believe he didn't kill himself by yeah. accident. And it's like Phoebe, Kate's, and I, oh, I, I should call her Kate, her character name. 
uh, Kate and Gizmo are just standing there watching him. And I feel like if he was more responsible, he'd say, hey, I'm going to try and blow up the building, but this might be a suicide mission. You should get yourselves out of here because they're just standing watching him do this. If he was more responsible, he wouldn't have gotten Gizmo wet Mm -hmm. and he wouldn't have fed them after midnight. He would have double checked the time when he was down in the kitchen. There are a lot of things where this boy is not responsible. But I don't know why he thinks that it won't just immediately explode with the rag there. I don't know, but I guess you just go with it. Um, But of course, Stripe, the leader, had escaped and went across the street to the department store to get some candy. So he's the last man standing for our uh, final chase scene through the department store. Yeah. Kate is being helpful. She's trying to go through the different controls uh, for this department store to find the lights, to be able to shine the light on. But it's just, I mean, how do you find all of the stuff? You know, go through all these different control panels and actually do what you intend to do. Fortunately, she turns on the fountain. I think that this sequence is sort of a return to form. It's almost like when you have too many gremlins, it just, it's just it's going to become a cartoon. But it's almost higher stakes when you're just dealing like with one of them. Mm-hmm. Because again, it, it gets kind of suspenseful again. And he's like throwing saw blades at Billy and is wielding a chainsaw. Yeah, and he gets a gun at the department store. And so he's threatening to shoot Billy. Yeah, there's multiple scenes where the gremlins have guns, which is an interesting choice. I'm not sure if I, if I would think to go there with these creatures, but... Uh, They definitely wield some guns. (laughs) And then, of course, uh, Gizmo commandeers a uh, remote control car to save the day. Looks like a Barbie car. Yeah, it does look like a Barbie car. Um, He uh, flashes back to a Clark Gable movie that he saw on TV. (laughs) That's sort of a uh, subplot is that Gizmo is becoming a real couch potato under Billy's watch. And he loves TV. Yeah, he absorbs a lot from TV. Uh... There's always I love a movie uh, that always has old black and white films on TV. Like throughout the movie, we get like It's a Wonderful Life, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, like things that kind of play into the theme of the movie. Right. You might see a little bit of that in my Christmas horror movie, Red <laughs> Snow, uh, which is uh, coming out next year. Oh. Um, I, I mean, and there's not much else to say except that Gizmo saves the day. By uh, opening the blinds on a stripe just as he's trying to multiply in the fountain. It's pretty gross. Yeah, he ends up melting like the Wicked Witch. Uh, It's interesting, too, because Billy's useless dad finally shows up after everything's done and all the people are dead (laughs) and uh, no more work needs to be done. Grandpa returns and throws the money on the couch. <laughs> yeah, essentially like, hey, asshole, here's your money back. Thanks for stealing my animal and killing people. Even gestures to the TV that has the news on where they're talking about all the mayhem that this family caused. Uh, there's kind of a funny misdirect there because he gestures to the TV and you think that he's mad about the town being in ruins, but he says, he's watching TV? <laughs> like, that's what he's mad about? Well, no, he he does refer to the mayhem yeah. that's occurred, though. Yeah, but it, it is kind of funny that he seems equally upset that Gizmo has become a lazy American. I do appreciate the dad acknowledges that he really messed up and shouldn't have taken Gizmo, uh, and he's just kind of like, okay, yeah, you can take him back. If you've heard any odd noises during this podcast, the dog has been hanging out in Sean's lap, and now he's laying on his back with his paws all straight up in the air. That's funny because people have noted that they can hear our bird, Quetzal, sometimes chirping. And and it's funny because the bird is being good in this episode, but the little mogwai in my lap just keeps uh, licking his chops. Uh, What I was going to say is that there's this beautiful matte painting shot at the end of of the grandpa walking off with Gizmo and his little box. And it's this beautiful shot and it fades out to um, uh, the end credit song, which was a big deal for me because I would just let this end credit song, (laughs) this like ragtime piece, I would just like let this play and like just 
go nuts and just dance around the house to the <laughs> end credits theme of gremlins and my sister would torture me by stopping the tape and rewind it like Aww. and just like and just like and like totally killing my buzz as i danced to this piece of music i guess i was pretty annoying doing this though so i'll, I'll give her the benefit of the doubt there all right sean i think it's about that time do you buy it rent it or tape over it i will say buy it I and I, I don't think that's just through the lens of nostalgia. I do have criticisms of the movie. I feel like it would be stronger if it kept the kind of same intensity as the kitchen sequence. I think that reaching that high of a high kind of midway through the movie would would kind of hurt any movie. But I, I think crucially, I still really enjoy the rest of it. I enjoy the whole movie. Um, even if tonally it's kind of all over the place, I think it's still like, you know, a, a fun holiday staple that's very, you know, aside from that story of Phoebe Cates's dad dying in the chimney, it's, which I love, I love that scene. I would not cut it out for the world, but overall, I think it's like a lighthearted, fun creature feature. Uh, what do you think, Lindsay? This is really tough. I think I'm a strong rent it. You know, I didn't grow up with it like you did, so I don't have any kind of nostalgia factor except for this period of time and liking 80s movies. It's really fun. It's cute. I always enjoy watching it, but I don't really... I mean, I think it's been a little clear. I'm, I'm not that excited about Billy as a character. Kate is cool, and there's not enough Kate, and the mom, Lynn, is great. There's not enough of her. She really steals the show and then kind of disappears and is sidelined. Sometimes when I'm watching this movie, I just get a little bit preoccupied thinking about what it would have been if they had done more with those characters. That's why I'm really glad that they did not cut out Kate's monologue about her dad. Without that, Kate is really a nothing of a character. Like, that's her whole backbone to her character. She hates Christmas because this horrible thing happened in her childhood. Like, that's kind of the most characterization we get from Kate. Right. All right, Lindsay. Well, next episode, we're switching back over to your collection. Which tape have you picked out for us? We are going to watch Billy Madison. Whoa. This will be our first Adam Sandler movie on the podcast, and I grew up watching a lot of Adam Sandler. So The Wedding Singer, Happy Gilmore was a classic because my dad was into golfing, but Billy Madison and Waterboy, those were kind of the top ones that we watched a lot. Yeah, of those you mentioned, I think I know Billy Madison the least. I think I saw Happy Gilmore a lot because my cousins are really into that one. Yeah, I mean, if I'm being honest, I would pick Happy Gilmore if we had the tape on hand, but we don't. So we're going to go with Billy Madison, which I think is still pretty fun. I'd like to thank Will Price for use of his song Mandatory Groove. You can hear more of Will's music at soundcloud.com slash gargantulon. You can learn more about us in our other episodes at tapeheadspodcast.com. You can also reach us at tapeheadspodcast at gmail.com. And then we'd love to hear your feedback. Please rate and review on your favorite podcast app. That's it for Tapeheads. I'm Sean. And I'm Lindsay. Until next time. 